Well, hello and welcome to Finding Our Way, our Southridge Church member podcast designed to give people the inside scoop on life in our church. Here's our host and lead pastor, Jeff Lockyer. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Finding Our Way. Uh, Excited today to continue to talk with church leaders about what it means for their communities to be growing in Jesus-centered ways. And uh, another friend that I've uh, gotten to know through a Jesus Collective cohort is a pastor uh, from the States, from Port City Church. Is that correct? That's correct. His name is Mike Ashcraft. Mike, welcome to uh, our podcast. First time here, hopefully not the last. Oh, I'd love that, man. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. This is uh, going to be a fun conversation. I've really enjoyed you in the in the cohort, and I'm excited for all of our people to meet you. So uh, give us a bit of the skinny on who you are, where you come from, family life, all that sort of stuff. Sure. So my name is Mike Ashcraft. Um, I am from originally from Atlanta, Georgia, and I lived there most of my life uh, from first grade all the way through college. Went to uh, architecture school. And uh, to make a long story short, felt God was calling me in the ministry, felt nudged, whatever word you would use. It wasn't like this uh, lightning bolt. It was more of a, I think this might be it. I uh, ended up being a youth pastor in a small southern town on the coast of North Carolina called Wilmington. I uh, was there about five and a half years before launching Port City Community Church uh, in 1999. And that has been sort of the trajectory for the life of my last 22 years. I have uh, my, my wife and I, Julie, have been married for uh, almost 30 years, and my, I have two daughters. One, um, my oldest is 26, and she's married to uh, Carson, and we're about to have our first grandchild uh, coming up real soon. And then I have another daughter who is 20. She just graduated from the University of North Carolina at Wilmington and will be beginning grad school uh, very shortly as well. So that's kind of the skinny on on me and um, how I got to be here at Port City. And then the journey of the church has just been a gift um, for me personally. Yeah, I want to talk about that rocket ship ride uh, in a a few (laughs) minutes. Um, Talk about your association with Jesus Collective. How did we connect? So um, we connected at a conference, I think one of the initial ones, and um, about three or four years ago, before the pandemic, uh, it was in Washington, D.C., and we had gone up, um, Greg Boyd and that whole crew. Uh, it was right at the the, the genesis of it. And um, one of our staff members had been involved with Matt um, doing some stuff, Matt Miles. And then I was invited, you know, really kind of my involvement was when I was invited to the co- cohort that you alluded to earlier and just became exposed to, um, you know, to some of you guys who are doing this and have been in this journey for a while. Yeah, we've been having a fun time about once a month ish. We've got yep. another one coming up in a couple of weeks. Looking forward yep. to that. Um, Port City Church. So you're this youth pastor in Wilmington, and you get kind of sent or decide to, to plant this church in the late '90s. And boom, talk about it on long the last you know 22 years, and kind of where things are at today. So you know, it's interesting. We started the church not out of any angst or. It wasn't even, this is all back in the Willow Creek and the uh, kind of Saddleback, seeker-friendly, and we weren't really that, um, only because of my personality and some other things, but it was really more of a, I had grown up where doubt was just frowned upon, and I had tons of questions and tons of doubts, and it didn't ever really threaten my faith. And this was before, like, deconstruction was a thing, and it was just my own journey. 
And what I realized is when most people I got to meet, I had a lot of kids in my youth group that did not weren't from the church. So their parents didn't go to church. And most of them didn't, well, they weren't atheists. They just had questions that very few people were willing to um, enter into. And so when we started Port City Church, it was really, you know, the mission statement is to reach people and help them walk with God. And it was always about helping people take a step from where they were. And if it was a step, you know, towards Christ, we were wholly content with that. If it was a step, you know, sometimes it was our first steps with Christ, but it was always about this process by which faith was formed. And, and then what it turned into was this idea of spiritual formation. How do we become more like we've been created to be specifically right through what Jesus had, the redemptive work of Jesus? It's amazing so, when you think about the 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 language of Jesus Collective and even the you know bounded set versus centered yep. set. This is two decades ago. You were intuitively wanting to organize a community simply around Jesus at the center and encouraging next steps towards him. That's cool. Yeah. And we didn't have that language. I grew up Southern Baptist, so I had a lot of other language. <laughs> some of it was helpful and some of it was probably not. But I didn't know it like that. And it was, it's so, it's, to me, what's so cool about the Jesus Collective is this has been a, you know, it's been a move, I think, worldwide and <clears throat> from very different voices. You know, I read Andy Stanley's book, Irresistible, when it came out a few years ago. And, you know, he got just, there was a lot of controversy around that. And I'm reading this and you're, it's kind of resonating. You know, I heard um, uh, other voices, Greg Boy, people who were talking about this. And you're just like, I think, you know, I grew up at a very reformed tradition. And, you know, a lot of those folks were sort of NT right. They were seen as kind of these, these voices that you had to kind of take with a grain of salt because they were, they just weren't the right theological frame. And again, it just spoke to the process. I was just, I became obsessed with the process and how do we understand God and even the Bible. And then, you know, people were giving me language like, well, the Bible is about Jesus and the clearest revelation of God is Jesus. And I'm like, well, yeah, this is kind of what the Bible seems to be saying. And it took me a while to catch on and to believe that enough to start teaching on it and have my own sort of crisis, which we'll talk about in just a minute, but have my own sort of crisis uh, in the middle of all this. And Port City these days, multi-site, correct? We are multi-site. We have uh, two locations. Uh, one is right across the bridge. We, are, we live in a small like triangle. Um, so we're at the coast, the bottom uh, corner of North Carolina between the Cape Fear River and the Atlantic Ocean. And then right across the Cape Fear River, we have a site in Leland, and then we have a site about two hours north in a little coastal town called Newburn. Are your sites strategically positioned within view of oceans, or like how, how <laughs> difficult is it to do church work in North Carolina? I'm, I'm in Canada, suffering for Jesus. Yeah. Man, it's it's uh, it's it's actually it's pretty good. There's not not many better places to live than where we are. Get to uh, get to enjoy the beach, and um, yeah, so it's it's pretty. Uh, I didn't know it was by the beach when I moved here. I, honestly, I'd never heard of Wilmington when I moved here you know, almost 30 years ago. That's fantastic. Hey, it, it sounds like, you know, even at the beginning, if not lately, uh, your ministry has kind of served an evolving faith and evolving understanding of the church. Yeah. And so I wonder, you know, you, you tapped into the buzzword deconstruction and, you know, yeah. stuff like that. Um, you know, just talk about the, the 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 journey of gaining that clarity around being Jesus centered, and to you, uh, at a personal level, and even as a church, when you're trying to be Jesus centered, what is that in comparison to otherwise centering on? Whew. Yeah, I was reflect. You, you said that question. I was reflecting on it, and 
I don't know that I would have ever thought of this had it not been for the Jesus-centered language. Um, I would have said, you know, I was centered on the Bible. And I, I don't think I would have ever... I, and, and again, we all believe the Bible is, it, it, you know, but that's what it, that's what it would have inevitably uh, been my centering because I was always felt this pressure to anything that you said or talked about. You had to have a sort of scriptural support or a verse to back it up. And that was my upbringing. Um, that was my training in a lot of ways. Um, I went to seminary. I dropped out. I, I never quite, um, there were some, there's some things about it that just didn't resonate with me. I was uh, a youth pastor at the time. Um, and so, you know, that's, that was the, those are probably what I would have been. And, um, then, you know, what happened to me was, you know, I grew up again, you present the gospel and, you know, as this, and I had, I had done all the evangelism training. Um, you know, I, I grew up Southern Baptist, so we had what they call a uh, continual witness training, which is kind of the Baptist version of, if you remember the old EE days and the evangelism explosion, if you were to die today, do you know where you'd go to heaven or, you know, where you would spend eternity. And so I did all that growing up, youth group, college, I was a college intern. And I remember, you know, thinking about it, but not just having a hard time going, is this really, is this really it? Mm. So when we started being, you know, I was a youth pastor, and of course you're, you're discipling kids in youth ministry. That's what we were doing. And that's where that, the discipleship idea really began to take root in my own heart. I, I was fortunate to grow up in a youth group where my youth minister discipled me in terms of having a relationship with Jesus and learning what that meant. So we used the Bible, but again, the default was you were always Bible-centered. And somewhere around 2003, um, the church was about four years old. It had started to grow. Um, you know, people then, you know, as, and as the church starts to grow, people think that you know what you're doing, which is always a little scary because I, I was you know, 32 years old. I wasn't really sure what I was doing, but I'm, you're learning, you're growing. And I knew this is what God was, was doing. And a, a lady comes up to me, and we didn't do like the classic invitations, and, you know, we're in the South, so so Wilmington has a lot of <clears throat> non-church. It's a very progressive culture, but it does have a sort of a deep, you know, there's still a lot of people here from the South that grew up in the church. So we come to our church, and we don't do a, a traditional come-down invitation. Again, that was like a lot of the modeling we were learning um, in the church planting world at that point in time. But it was also that we just didn't feel like the church was like, you don't have to close a deal. You're not trying to get someone to make a decision. You're trying to help someone walk with God. So people would always ask me, why don't you do an invitation, you know, and just make sure that people know that they're saved. And I would give them some long-winded answer about why not. And this lady comes up to me, it's probably, again, 2003, 2004, and she, it must have been 2004. She says, Mike, you know, why don't you do an invitation? I gave her my answer. She said, well, it's really easy. You could just present the gospel very clearly, have someone make a decision. So if something were to happen to them on the way home, it wouldn't be on your hands. <laughs> and I remember, you know, and it all, and I panicked. And the reason I panicked was not because I believed that their blood was on my hands or their soul was on my you know, my hands, so to speak. I panicked because I thought, I don't know if I believe the gospel like that. And so this, you know, I'm a pastor of a church. I'm supposed yeah. to be, you know, preaching the gospel. And I'm like, what do I believe about? So I just, that just sent me in this really long journey of like, and I, I began to just study the Bible and, and look at what Jesus said about his message. How did Jesus present his gospel? And that was just my obsession for about a couple of years. And out of that, I actually wrote a children's book called The Bright Idea. And I just, I gave it to our church. It was nothing, but it was, it was basically about these little, these little gizmos who got up in the morning. They were like light bulbs and they would get up in the morning and they would hold their breath, take a deep breath, hold their breath and they would stay lit. And then um, by the end of the day, they were exhausted from holding their breath, but they couldn't speak because they were holding their breath. So they would write little notes to each other. And then they would, um, at the end of the night, they would um, just let a deep exhale and their lights would go out and everything went dark. 
And so this goes on day after day. And one of these little kids is like, dude, we all hold our breath and everybody knows we hold our breath. We're just pretending that we're really lit. And so he opens up his mouth and says, why do we do this every day? His light goes out. They kick him out of the city. And so he goes out of the city and he meets this glow and this glow is lit and he's speaking and the glow explains to him that if you let your light go out, I will fill you with mine. You'll receive my light. And not only will you be a light, but you'll also find your voice. Hmm. So the little glow goes back into town and he's like talking and he's lit. And the people are like, what in the world is happening to you? And he tells them the gospel that he let his light go out and he received the light um, that was given to him. And out of that light, he actually found his voice. And so that became this, this expression of the gospel that it wasn't just about getting to heaven when you die, but there was about a way of life and actually finding who we were created to be. So that began this other journey of like how Jesus talked about the kingdom and what he intended to do. And so all those things began to unfold. Then I read, you know, sort of Irresistible, read a couple other books, and I'm like, then Jesus centered. I'm like, oh, this begins, to, and it all began to kind of fit together. So, mm-hmm. you know, mine wasn't so much of a deconstruction as it was an evolution. If that makes sense. Yeah, I was going to say, what what were, you know, in the, you even talk about having you know, almost like a, a, a breakdown or a, a rough patch. Um, would that have been your kind of major evolution or reconstruction, maybe renovation, moving from the Bible-centered, it's got to be chapter and verse anchored, to Jesus centered, it's got to be moving closer towards him, you know, considering his essence and more importantly, focusing on his invitation and his description of the way of life that he invites us into. Is that pretty much the major description? Yes, that, yes, that is it. And, and I remember two very specific things that happened to me theologically um, that shaped this. You know, I grew up in the very much apologetic culture, so I read a lot of apologetic books, and there was a big emphasis on, you know, Jesus being the only way to heaven, which was always kind of the way it was framed. And I remember telling our church that John 14, 6 doesn't say that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And I mean, you could feel the gasp in the room. I'm like, what it says is that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father. Like it's about being reconciled in a relationship, not getting to a place. Yeah, yeah. And so that, and I remember, you know, talking like this. And then the other one was when I began to talk about sin, I grew up again, America, uh, the moral majority, and there was this moral emphasis of sin. And I began to, again, reading the scriptures. Uh, this isn't, this isn't anti-Bible. This actually comes from, from reading the Bible. But I began to notice that sin is first and foremost, not a moral issue, but an authority issue. And the language of the Bible, you know, it's in, in the very beginning when he talks about that sin is crouching at your door and its, it's desire is to master you. Or Paul would talk about this, you know, we no longer live under the rule of sin, you know, the, or the rule of the law and this mastering effect that sin has. And that changed everything because then it wasn't just about trying to like believe the right things and, and organize around the right behaviors, but it was really about an allegiance to a rule which is the kingdom, right? It is Jesus is Lord, which is the confession that sort of brings us into that way. So all that began to fit together for me in ways that I just never suspected or would, you know, it wasn't from a book. It was just this evolutionary process by which I came to see that more and more clearly. Hmm. That's a fascinating comment. And I hope that our members and other leaders listening can just, you know, even press pause and just reflect on that for a moment that the the, the antithesis of Jesus being Lord mm. isn't 
Jesus having some other relationship in your life. It's something or someone else having mastery over you. Someone is your Lord. <laughs> Something is your Lord. The question is, is it Jesus or not? That's that's a powerful comment, Mike. Yeah. Well, thank so you. Yeah, that's good. You, you start to develop Port City. And at the time, you've got kind of intuitive feelings, crude language, thinking, you know, evolving, refining. Like practically these days, now that you've kind of got this clear in your head, what does facilitating Jesus centeredness mean? What 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 what's different about how you kind of do church or discipleship outside of you don't have an altar call at the end of every Sunday <laughs> service? You know, there's a couple things I would say uh, to that. First, I think that you know I've had to learn to be patient. Like I think the gift, and and I'm so grateful for the church that I get to be a part of because. You know, I, I have friends who are pastors that went through a similar thing, and they they left their churches because they were afraid that they were going to inflict, you know, an enormous amount of doubt or confusion on their congregations and their own sort of journey. Um, you know, I had p- friends of mine who, uh, who who had to resign because their theological alignment was no longer consistent with what they were expected to teach as a part of a particular denomination. And you know, Port City is non-denominational. And um, so and it's also been it, it's it's been very process driven from the beginning. So I feel very grateful that I've been able to kind of process this real time with our congregation. Again, we've grown a lot um, over the years. The pandemic kind of shaped, uh, reshaped us. And then we're, we're emerging out of that at this point in time. But but our church has been very gracious to me. And what I've tried to do, and I've got some really great staff people around me who have been a part of this journey so that we process together in community um, with our pastoral teams. Um, So they've been real time with this. So when I'm teaching our congregation, I'm very sensitive to, you know, how this is going to, I'm not provocative and I don't poke the bear, but I try to gently lead our congregation to think a little bit differently, to consider things. And, you know, what happened, I think this was most profoundly felt uh, in you know, the pandemic happened. And then you had the election of Biden and Trump and all of that. So you, and we have a very diverse uh, politically and theologically, very diverse congregation. And so you could just feel the tension and we were able to navigate this. And what we kept doing is, you know, and I've been saying this for you know four or five years previously, one of the things that the kingdom theology did is it means, you know, if you're if you're from America, you'll know this very clearly, but you have the liberals and the conservatives. And, you know, historically, conservatives have been uh, connected to Christian culture or that idea. Yeah, and what we started saying is that the way of Jesus, the kingdom is fundamentally different. And what I would say constantly is that the left and the right are two sides of the same coin in the wrong system. And so as followers of Jesus, you have a responsibility, right, to exercise the privileges that you've been given to vote and be citizens of the United States of America. But it is not our allegiance. And we live in a different way and we cannot confuse the two. So we've been saying this over and over. So it's given us a lot of pause to ask questions and to press on things. And what I found through the pandemic is whenever I get these nasty emails or or even sometimes well-meaning emails that just were very critical of, you know, wearing masks or doing this or doing that, um, I would just pick up the phone and have a conversation, sit down and have coffee and have a conversation. And what what I learned was that most people, if you were patient, and it, this is new to me because I'm not, I could, I would want to just inside, I would just take someone out. 
So to really sit and listen and try to understand um, gave me a lot of uh, sort of sympathy and, and maybe understanding towards people, a lot of grace that I don't normally have. And that has affected the way I teach people, which ironically enough, is kind of what Jesus did, right? He was very patient and willing to bring anybody into any conversation. He was very quick with religious people um, who thought that, you know, so it's just kind of taking that posture to go, can I have conversations? Can I tell stories? Can I invite people into things and help them see and understand things differently? And then their teaching ministry sort of kind of emerged from that. Um, and I, I readily tell people, look, I'm, you know, some of the things I'm learning I'm learning and I do not want to lead people. So I want us to do this together. And we've really built, I think, a real healthy culture in our church and one that is really willing to take this journey together. And it's it's actually very exciting because it takes a lot of pressure off of me to be right every single time I stand up and say something publicly. I, publicly, I can offer myself and invite people in and ask questions. And we've created other formats that we can do this even even better and more, I'm gonna use the word safely, in other words, without with without having to tie all the loose ends. Yeah, it's interesting. You're you're what you're describing from a church leadership perspective and even a an organizational culture perspective is not that there's a silver bullet program to being Jesus-centered. It's actually a way of following and leading that's far more conversational that has far more of a humble listening, learning posture, and that translates that into a more sympathetic, you know, here's where I'm at, what do you think, uh, kind of flavor in your teaching. That's that's yeah. very significant. And, and you know what this is like. I mean, like, the, you know, you, you've been a part of a church and your church grew, and the more your church grows, the more isolated you can become. And, you know, and even like with affluence or the capacity to live in a nicer place, you know, you can actually afford not to care about certain things. So like, it's, it's interesting when you, when I was hearing you kind of recount what, you know, kind of um, what I was saying, I mean, I'm listening to you and it's like, man, this sounds like what Jesus would actually want us to do. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> right. it, is, it is that kind of way that, that isn't like the, the processes and the programs and typically the, the, the day, the daily rituals we get ourselves into don't naturally lead us towards that without other things really intentionally being there to shape us. And that's, what's been so helpful to me is have those guys, men and women around me helping me um, so that I don't stay, you know, my, and my wife is great, you know, keeping me involved, you know, kind of, um, you know, knee deep into people's lives and, what's happening in our community and what's happening in our city and, and, and then beyond that so that we stay, you know, the ministry stays very tactile and very incarnational. It isn't just intellectual. So this is, it's all working together. That's fantastic. <clears throat> and, and God's changed a, me. You know, he's changing me. Yeah. I want to do a hard shift now uh, in these last minutes because I'm, I'm excited to share with everyone the reality that you're one of these you're one of these pastor guys who for some reason needed more to do during the pandemic <laughs> and uh, has recently released a book now yes. this is your second book in addition to the, the the kids book which I would encourage parents of little kids to get that's a yep. that sounds like a, a really great work but uh, this new release is called to be concluded to be yes. concluded what does that mean so the whole premise came um, out of this uh, this idea that happened I, when, when we were um, Netflix, I was late to the Netflix game and um, I watched, I said, you need to watch Parenthood. And so I you know, watched Parenthood and the first episode comes on and <clears throat> it's pretty good. 
And at the very end of the episode, at the bottom of the, you know, the little box in the bottom of your TV, it says, you know, your, your, your episode will continue in, then it counts down. Five, yeah, seven four, seconds. Yeah. Right. And the next thing you know, you've watched like two whole seasons. And I remember <laughs> thinking like, man, this is what our lives are like. We just go from episode to episode to episode. We, we have these seasons that are happening, but they just run one into the other. And the next thing you know, you can't discern one from the next. And so we kind of identify this as sort of this to be continued lifestyle where everything is always ahead and forward. And, and it just leaves us longing and wanting and chasing and ultimately empty. And also we miss what the, the whole point of what God is trying to do. And so the idea is that we need to create these points in time that where a season needs to be concluded. Um, and sometimes things need to be concluded in the middle of something because it's going to take longer then you can sort of stomach in order to find completion. And in some cases, the completion won't happen in our generation. And we just have no capacity to think like that in our culture because everything is so instant and so now. And, and so, so and so next, right? So I, I may be done with this, but it's I got to get my head into the next. Always. And what what the, the one of the other big ideas in the book is that you know, we, we look for God to solve our problems. And that's kind of the, we have this sort of problem solution mindset because we're Western and that's just our thinking. Um, but the Bible is written and the promise of God isn't that he solves our problems, but that he redeems our brokenness. And so we can bring ourselves to him. And the way I think about this is that finished things become usable things. That when I can find a sense of conclusion in, in my pain, my failures and my successes, Right. Those things become useful for the future. Otherwise, they end up defining us either by running from our pain or trying to avoid doing that again or by holding on to our successes. I mean, one of the things that happened in this pandemic and you could feel it is as soon as the pandemic started to prolong, everybody's like, we need to go back to normal. I remember going, we are not going back anywhere, right? We are, we are only going forward because otherwise you're going to try to hang on. And the more that happens and the more acute it is, the more nostalgia we have for what was. When it was just as wonky and just as hard, we've just sort of forgotten that part of yeah. it. So we just end up longing for the way to return to the way things used to be. And God is always calling us into a future, right? He's doing a new thing and that's what he's after. So that was the, that's the idea, the premise of the book. And it just really implores us to kind of create, you know, the, the other idea is that it's, it's not about our pace. It's really about our rhythm. And these points of conclusion allows us to create rhythms into our pace of life. It allows us to see what God is actually doing and to, and to begin to understand his promise of redemption in ways that are very different than what we tend to think they are. Hmm. What are some of the kind of most common or high level practical commitments that you'd encourage to experience conclusion, the conclusion of a day, the conclusion yep. of a week, the conclusion of a season, the conclusion of a heartache, the conclusion yep. of a, a success, whatever. Talk about that the, at a practical the discipline, level. The discipline, you know, there, there is, the discipline is time. It's, it's carving a space in time. And, you know, we, we started this with a personal retreat um, we pick words. Uh, in fact, that, I actually wrote a book called My One Word in 2000, about to be 10 years old. And it's where you pick a word instead of a New Year's resolution. Hmm. And our congregation would, we, I mean, our whole church stopped picking. Nobody knows New Year's resolutions. We all pick words. And the hmm. word serves as a lens through which we can see God's work in our lives. And what happened, I noticed, is we get to the end of the year and people are like, man, I can't wait to pick next year's word. And they would just pick pick a word like in December. I'm like, well, did you finish 
your your year with this word. Like, well, now you know what that means. So we created a, a, a personal retreat where we take a time to deliver. And I use the week between Christmas and New Year's because that's kind of like the crash week. Nobody does anything during that week. And so we took that week and said, we want you to carve out two hours and do a personal retreat. We guide them through it. And the intentional, it was intentionally designed to go, let's see what God did through your word the previous year. Finish well with that word so you can then start strong with a new one. That was the whole premise. And that became kind of the idea. So that, that became the genesis of this book. And the point is that, you know, you have to carve out a space and time. I mean, this is in the scriptures. This is the point of the Sabbath. You know, this is the point of seasons. All these things are mentioned throughout throughout scriptures. And it's to create a point in time. I do it now every day. Um, but I think if you can start with once a week, pick a point in time, stop, assess how was this week? What did you see? What did you learn? What did you think? What did you feel? And bring all of those things to the Lord and say, Lord, can you take this and make this useful for what is about to begin the next week? And as you say, hey, that works pretty well. Um, you know, I do mine now pretty much every day. I, I advocate people um, keep a journal. And I don't mean like writing prose or poetry or something they're going to publish. I mean, just writing down what you're thinking, what you're feeling, what you're sensing, what God is doing in the most cryptic or bullet pointed or whatever you have to do form, not because you are going to remember all those things, because it slows our brains and our heads and our hearts down enough to sort of gain some perspective. And when that happens, it allows us to enter into those next places with a much better sort of sense of, of ourselves and what God is, is ultimately up to. So I think it, it is a function of time and it's impossible to get it out of that category but I would do something once a week. Um, I would do something, you know, once, uh, you know, five days a week or three days a week, whatever it is that you can arrange in your schedule. If you, you know, as pastors, you know, we lead our, our congregation to do personal retreats twice a year. And we just ask everybody to do it. And the whole point is, you know, people say, well, I forgot my word at six months in. Well, great. If you forgot your word at six months in, but you remember it six months in and you do something about it, that's better than forgetting it for the whole year. And, and that's the hope, but we just sabotage ourselves mm -hmm. in so many ways because we didn't do it perfectly, then we don't do it at all. And it's like, you just gotta start somewhere and, and do something. And over time, God seems to be really competent to, to honor our faith, right? I mean, he's really good at that. If we'll just trust him just enough to take a step. You know, it's so funny, Mike, a few years ago, our family went on a Christmas vacation. So in between Christmas and New Year <laughs> and had this very conversation where we defined, we called it a hashtag. What mm. was each of our hashtags for the year? The twist in the one word was that the rest of our family chose your word. So I I would got I would get assigned and we've done it now every year. We do this little That's family so degree or whatever where the family and if I haven't done enough with that word, I get reassigned the same way. I've had that happen too. So Man, that is so great. That is so great. Uh, nothing like accountability. Yeah, nothing like nothing like your uh, the, the people who know you the best assigning you your your word. Yep. Well, listen, this isn't going to be the last time that we chat. Yeah. I've, I've loved our uh, connection through Jesus Collective, and I'm thrilled Me that too. people got to know you. Uh, any final encouragements or challenges to either uh, our members at Southridge or the other leaders listening, you know, when it comes to not just the, the process of pursuing Jesus-centeredness, but even these spiritual mm -hmm. rhythms that you're, you're talking about in your book? 
Yeah, you know, I mean, I, obviously, I, I think everybody should take some some space and time um, to pay attention. I, I want to pull off a question that you asked, and you said, you know, what is the absolute must do to become Jesus centered? And you know, I was thinking, like, what program or how do you teach? And you know, what? this is this it's the must, the absolute must do is to be honest, mm-hmm. is to be willing to acknowledge that we all easily put other things in the center that drives our faith, that drives our pursuits. And to keep Jesus at the center is a constant quest that we need each other, which is why he gave us the church, right? That our the pastors and the leaders that God has put with us and for us to know that they are doing the same, they're in the same journey. We're all learning to keep Jesus at the center and to honor his allegiance and his authority in everything that we do. And it's just the willingness to be honest. Whenever we put anything else in that space or the pressure we feel, there are a lot of pastors who feel the pressure to put the Bible in that space, to put all kinds of things in their denominations in that space. And that we all have to understand that. But I think if we can just sort of be honest with that and always chronically assessing, um, you know, I have found that that God has been so faithful um, to realign me and to be gracious you know, when I, when I didn't honor him, um, you know, perfectly or sometimes even at all. And that's what makes to me the beauty of the church, um, the, the church so beautiful and why I'm so hopeful about the future of it. Hmm. That's a great word. Mike, thanks so much for being here. To be concluded, everybody check it out on Amazon and uh, your church website is? Uh, portcity.church. Portcity.church, check them out. Uh, Thanks so much for being here. And to all of you, thanks for tracking with us again this week. We'll see you in seven days time as we continue finding our way together. Take care, everybody.